Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, November 21st, 2022, and this year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebrich with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Eero. This week we're not going to be singing the blues, but we will be singing the praises of blues, blue suckers, that is. You know, when Katrina and I, we started this show, we've been trying to really balance game fishes and non-game fishes. And usually when we're doing non-game species, we're talking about these little micro fishes, your shiners, sculpins, sticklebacks, things like that. But there is a nice segment of the non-game fish world, especially suckers, that really do make tremendous sport fish. They might taste good. They might fight well. They might be kind of challenging to catch. But people don't go after them for some reason. But there is a dedicated community. And within that community... I've found that the blue sucker, for whatever reason, has a similar mythos kind of around it, same reverence as fish like the muskie in the sport fish community. The thing is on roughfish.com, someone said, to catch a blue sucker on hook and line is one of the greatest fishing accomplishments that any American angler can hope to achieve. Wow. I have not achieved it, but one day I hope I will. (laughs) So yeah, I am 100% in on this episode. Let's go. So I got to introduce them too, right? So let me do that real quick. And oh then yeah, I sorry, that was a bit long, but I'm, I was a bit long-winded, but I am passionate about this one. That was great. <laughs> That's a good setup. So we're very pleased to have Dave Ritter and Zach Shatek here to help us know about this very cool fish. Zach is the Native Species Coordinator in the Fisheries Division of Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And Dave is a self-proclaimed blue sucker enthusiast and a renowned fish artist. So warm welcome to you too. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, wonderful. What a what an intro. I'm excited. Hopefully we got us kicked off on a good start there. I'm excited. Oh, absolutely. Too. Got your analogy to muskies. I didn't think of that before, but that is such a great analogy because yeah, in the sport fishing world, muskies have this sort of legend and lore about them. And I think in the fisheries biology world, blue suckers are right there. One of the names apparently is a common name was muskellunge. Really? Yes, that is. Oh, I thought of the muskie myself. I was, <laughs> I'm not just copying someone else's work. I don't want to be accused of cheating over here. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's such a great analogy. Yeah. Do we got more names? Oh yeah. Oh, there's, there, this fish has a ton of names. Oh, oh rattle them off the for names. me. Let me just touch on what I found here. And it's from the 1900s. 1902 was the American food game book that was published and the blue soccer, the genus and scientific name is Cycloptus elongatus, but it's called the gourd seed sucker in this book, also known as the black horse, which personally is my favorite. And let's see, it says here, well, it's also known as the Missouri sucker, sweet sucker and suckerel is perhaps more highly esteemed as a food fish than any other member of the family. It's usually caught in sains on or set lines. So there you go, guy. Like uh, as far as suckers go, it was certainly highly regarded. I did want to point out that I think it was season one, Katrina and Guy, you guys were talking about just suckers. Yep. Guy, sucker you said you were, Guy said he was a sucker liker. Oh, yeah. that's, oh I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, it seems now like Guy's on board. He's a guy's sucker lover now. Guy's two feet into blue sucker. <laughs> yeah, I'm so just impressed that you would think about this as really kind of unique in how people think about it and being on that musky level because... I think if you talk to fish biologists across the board, many, many, many of them would say 
blue sucker is their favorite fish, something that just keeps them coming back with question after question. And there's really something mysterious about this fish species. And blue suckers are kind of almost like a unicorn in the fisheries world where there's something really sacred about handling these fish and learning about these fish and the places that they live uh, that really puts things into perspective for you as a fish biologist. So to get everyone listening on the same page in terms of what exactly this fish is like, what they look like, I'd like people to imagine closing their eyes, putting their hands up like they're going to receive a gift, like kind of like a kid would. And we're going to hand you a big male blue sucker. It's all dressed up to spawn. And Zach or Dave, I'd really like if one of you could just kind of describe what that would feel like, what this fish looks like, how big it is. Yeah. So the first thing that's going to jump out to you when you close your eyes and hold a blue sucker is just the body type and just how strong it's going to feel. They are built like linebackers. They are (laughs) super, super strong, super muscular. Their caudal peduncles are super thick. One of our biologists in Lewistown uses the phrase a redonkulous peduncle. And it, it is such a great description because it is, and it makes it difficult to handle them. So you know, if I'm handing you a blue sucker, you're going to have trouble holding on to this thing. It's hard to get your hand around where you might typically hold salmon or something around that caudal peduncle. It's super hard to hold that on a blue sucker. And that's over by the tail, kind of at the end. Yes, yeah. right, right. Yep. And they are solid. They are just built so solid. And I think where other sucker species like white suckers or long nose suckers sort of have maybe a softer underbelly, there's some give when you press on their underbelly. It is not like that with blue suckers. You can't press very much on them. And we know this because we've been pit tagging them and radio tagging them. They're difficult to get into, first of all, to put a pit tag in, but also very, very solid to the touch. So I'm going to hand you this blue sucker Mm -hmm. and I want you to open your eyes after I hand it to you because the coloration (laughs) on these things is awesome. Fantastic. And it varies from individual to individual. And some of them will be this really deep navy blue, and then others will be more of a gray tan and much lighter. The undersides, the fins, and even sometimes on the face will have pinks and purples. Just a really great gradient from gray tan to blue purple. And then one of the other things that I just experienced this year is their eyes. They are beautiful. Most of them have a very typical fish eye, I guess, if fish eyes can be typical. But some individuals' pupils will be diamond-shaped or even snowflake-shaped. So there's even variation in iris coloration and in pupil shape. It's really fascinating. Yeah, something that stands out to me is just the pectoral fins. They're just so prominent, and they've got this kind of beautiful curvature, almost like you you see in a, a mature bull elk, and they get just this beautiful kind of fluid curve to their antlers. I always think about that when I see blue sucker. I think there's something majestic about them. What about their lips? They got some sucker lips, huh? <laughs> yes. Yes, they've got the classic sucker lip, but they have a very elongate snout. But yes, that classic sort of sucker lip. Yeah. Those lips, there's hyper papillose almost. Like when I need to show yes. someone an example of the difference between papillose and plicate lips, I always use the blue sucker. We know each sucker is different and unique, but how does this one fit in taxonomically with some of the other ones? So a closest relative is, I believe, the only catostomid native outside of North America. And that's the Chinese just sucker, I think. <laughs> Mixocyprinus. That hyphen shark thing. 
that they call yeah. it. Yeah. So and if, yeah. and if you look at that fish, it actually, you start to see, you're like, oh, wow, this actually has a lot in common with blue sucker half a world away and has a lot of the same life history. And then with that comes a lot of the same kind of conservation issues. But yeah, the Chinese sucker, it's got a number of kind of common names, but Mixocyprinus asiaticus, that is is probably one of its closer relatives. And then you've got Ichthyobus as being the others. But they're some of the most ancestral kind of sucker species. We looked at what it looks like. We talked about its pectoral fins. It's a pretty large fish. It's got these really particular lips. How does that tie into like what types of habitats it likes in its range here across the U.S.? This is the best swimmer in the river. So then it's no surprise that these things can move. But really from the Missouri River on down to the Mississippi, the Ohio, you know, even into the Rio Grande, the Pecos, a lot of these big river systems, it's all the same. These things are movers. They can get up and swim upstream in some of the most foreboding habitat where, you know, they live in deep, fast water and they can spawn in one area and move hundreds of miles annually to overwintering habitat, spring habitat, summer habitat. And in Montana, Dave and I have reveled that we've got individuals that we found moving close to 500 miles annually. That's wow. not a, an unusual thing for this fish species. That's got to be up there for one of the longest freshwater migrations. I think it, it would probably be up there, not to dog on salmon, but like blue suckers will, you know, do these huge migrations. And at the end of it, though, they'll start over again and do it for 40, 50 years. They keep coming back to, to just punish themselves in some of these big, long migrations through a lot of different habitats. Yeah, they love these large river habitats. They loved really fast water. Their spawning areas are typically very swift, pretty deep, like cobbly substrate is where they prefer to spawn. And just to touch on what Zach was saying about just how strong these guys are as far as swimmers go, on the Yellowstone, we've got a series of diversion dams that are barriers to movement of most fish species. For example, pallet sturgeon, shovel nose sturgeon, paddlefish, and things like that. For blue suckers, these diversions are not a barrier. They're barely an impediment. They barely slow them down. And they will blast right through these huge diversion structures so quickly on their annual migrations to spawning areas in the spring. It's really impressive. How are these guys doing where you guys are located and across the range? And what are some of the biggest threats that are facing them? Yeah, great question. Pretty much like everywhere else, blue suckers are typically a species of greatest conservation need. And that's a term that many of the states have put together state wildlife action plans to help direct state wildlife grants. This is a form of funding from the Fish and Wildlife Service that states have taken advantage of to really help promote and pursue conservation and understanding for species that aren't necessarily in the hook and bullet club. That's part of the difficult aspect of this species is we know a lot, but it doesn't feel like we know enough. And there's a lot of conservation issues that can come up with migratory fish. And probably one of the biggest one is fragmentation. That's actually something kind of surprising there that you've been saying, because on the one hand, we've talked about how this fish has this allure to it, that people really love it. All these fisheries biologists, and we recently had a woman on here talking about goblin sharks and how she initially wanted to study Great white, white sharks. sharks. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. you always get these really charismatic megafauna that people are drawn to, and all the research gets done on them, yet it sounds like Despite this fish's reverence among the research and fish and wildlife community, 
there's not enough research being done. So I think that's really interesting. And I'm curious what you see as the most pressing research that needs to be done going forward to help with the conservation and restoration of the species. It'd probably be a lot of early life history understanding. I'm trying to really understand recruitment of this fish species. We know we have a lot of big old fish, but one of the probably rarest things that you can collect in the field, at least in the upper Missouri River, Yellowstone River, is little blue suckers. If you caught one of those, holy moly, that is a trophy. That is something, badge of honor. It doesn't even matter where you are in this species or in its related species distribution. Catching small southeastern blue suckers is a very difficult task. And that oftentimes is one of building blocks to understanding the fish species and how we might conserve or manage it. Are there any hot spots where you know these guys are spawning or? Well, where they're spawning, yes. That is key to us doing our trend sampling. And in Montana, we do trend sampling every two or three years. But we have to sample during the spawning season because it's the only reliable way for us to know. And even then, it's still a guessing game as far as figuring out where exactly they may be spawning. And it varies year to year based on, you know, hydrograph and, and river conditions and things like that. Do we know, are they annual spawners or do they have off years where they hang out and don't spawn? A little bit of both. So we do see fish return annually and we do see fish make these huge migrations annually. But there are some questions surrounding that. It seems like conditions are right. They're going to be there to paint a picture for you. If listeners could picture the state of Montana, you know, you've got this huge state and a lot of these fish will overwinter in the Missouri River, both upstream of the confluence of the Yellowstone and downstream. These fish will then move upstream to the Milk River. Some years, depending on Milk River flows, they'll move all the way up to Vandalia Dam, which is, I think, oh, geez, trying to think how many river miles upstream that is. I think it's 120 river miles. They might spawn up there. They might not see conditions suitable. So a lot of times you'll see individuals will drop out of the milk, drop all the way down to the Missouri to the Yellowstone confluence, run up the Yellowstone, get past intake, which is at, I think, River Miles 78, and then move all the way up into maybe the tongue or the powder. Or we've had individuals that have moved as far upstream as the bighorn, which is, I think, getting up to the bighorn. That's probably talking 295 river miles upstream on the Yellowstone. So these guys are just incredible. And so when you go to study them and you're looking for spawning aggregates, sometimes you're right on the money and you can predict it. At other times, if conditions aren't right, a big question mark on where they might be. Yeah. And ju- just as an example, this past year, I worked on the Missouri River and this was a year for doing our, our trend sampling. And the hydrograph was such that we were not seeing blue suckers spawning in tributaries very much this year. Instead, we were seeing them spawning in the main stem, Missouri. And I just want to paint this picture just from the fish person's perspective when we're out there sampling, that when you encounter a blue sucker, it's a big deal. It's an experience, first of all. Most of our sampling we do by boat electrofishing. And you can imagine in the spring where this is like late April, early May, it's cold, it's windy, the river is starting to come up a little bit at times, it can be pretty turbid, but the sampling efforts can be super, super slow. And it was like that this year, this is how it began. We would see a blue sucker here, we'd see a blue sucker there. Just as an experience, if you're on the front of the boat netting, you're trying to peer into this really turbid water. Some fish shock and electrofish very well. They just float up and they're super easy to net. Blue suckers are not like that. They 
show themselves for a brief second and then they are gone and you can return to that site and continue electrofishing and you will never see them again. So you get one shot. Ah, stressful. It's, it's stressful. It's also super exciting. So everybody on the boat is on high alert. And when a blue comes to the surface, everybody is shouting blue, 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 and they're pointing their fingers <laughs> and everything. And it, like, it really is an experience. So this year, the going was very slow and we tried our typical spots. We tried the tributary mouths. We tried tributaries. We got a handful. So we decided to branch out a little bit and we're going to try a section of swifter water. It's called Dead Man's Rapids. And all this does is just sort of add to the lore of Blue Sucker that we're headed over to Dead Man's Rapids to do some electrofishing. I was boat driver for this particular day and my friend and other fish technician, Mike, was the netter. We start at the top of the rapids and we're drifting down and the water starts boiling with fish. And it was a moment of shock, pun intended, because we were looking around and typically when this happens, it's shorthead red horse or it's gold eye. It was blue suckers everywhere and Mm. 30, 40, 50 blue suckers were rolling. And it took us a second to be just like, Get out of our like moment Check. of disbelief and actually start netting these fish. Anyway, super, super exciting. And I just wanted to, we ended up netting maybe around, maybe a little bit less than 20, which is incredible. There are years when we're doing this sampling where we don't even see 20. So to see that many in a day was just, was really exceptional. But I wanted to return to the size of these fish and just sort of how rare it is to see a small blue sucker Like if somebody encounters a small blue sucker, it is circulated by email, by text. Look what we found. It's a small blue sucker. This year, we captured a blue sucker that was around the mid 500 millimeter mark. That's not a small fish. It's a small blue sucker. And it was noteworthy. Most of the time we're seeing blue suckers 600 to 900, 950 millimeters. And the fact that we got this smaller blue sucker in a different size and perhaps age class it was really really exciting and how many inches is that for folks converting oh gosh these fish get really big i don't think we mentioned the size 500 millimeters that's half a meter it's yeah exactly it's half a meter it's still a very very big fish but small at least as far as our missouri river population goes what's the biggest one that you guys have come across so the state record for montana lengthwise is 34 and a half inches Okay. And that that fish was about 13 and a quarter pounds, but it looks like maybe a fish out of Kentucky, 36 inches and about 13 pounds. But yeah, about three feet long and pretty darn impressive. And Dave is right. I mean, there's some of the more difficult fish to capture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, outside of getting one opportunity when you are using electrofishing, even if they do come up in perfect condition, a lot of times they'll end up floating downstream to your net and will not bend or fold into a net like most fish do. They're just so strong and their muscles are flexed so hard. It's like trying to catch a, a two by four. Hmm. And yeah, exactly. A log. And a lot of times if you don't get their head in a the net, they're just going to slip off the side right. of the net and you look, you look silly a lot. I swear it was there. <laughs> I was wondering if either of you had just kind of a moment that you can remember where you first became hooked on the blue sucker and what that was. Yes. I had just moved to Montana. It was the first time I ever encountered a blue sucker. I was working as a fisheries technician on the Yellowstone River, and we were trammel netting 
as part of a PhD dissertation. We were drifting a tremel net around Terry, Montana, and we were drifting this tremel net in somewhere where you do not drift tremel nets. Mm -hmm. It was super swift water. It was boulders and things like that. And I remember we were pulling the tremel net in after a drift and everybody on the boat got quiet because there was this large fish stuck in the net. And it wasn't a buffalo. It wasn't a red horse. It was something new, something that we hadn't seen that year, something that I had never seen. And I knew right away that this fish was different. The PhD student was just beside herself. She was so excited that this fish was coming onto the boat. And she's like, oh, my God, that's a blue sucker. And that image of that fish will never leave my mind. It was more of a lighter color, but it had those purples and pinks on its underside. And yeah, that was the first time where I was just like, oh man, like this fish is different. Okay. How about you, Zach? Yeah, I think I think the first time I'd ever seen a blue sucker was in grad school on the lower Brazos River in Texas. And I think we had sained it up. And I remember just seeing a lot of straw colored fish, a lot of smaller fish, and then one bigger fish that was, uh, again, it's just so unique when you see it. When you see it, there's no mistake about it. You know exactly. Love at first sight. <laughs> yeah. And I think that one's always stuck with me. That was sort of the individual that started it all. But I think most recently, something that was really memorable was being able to radio tag my first blue sucker. And doing surgery on fish is always an interesting thing to describe to non-fish people. But if you're a fish person, there are a lot of nerves that go into it. It's a very tense moment for you operating on this critter and trying to, one, do it in a way that's not harmful to the fish's well-being, but two, to ensure that the data that you're going to collect is going to be useful. And I remember getting done with that and just shaking. And yeah, that fish will be hopefully given data for the next um, five, six years oh, as awesome. we, we kind of track its movements in the Yellowstone and beyond. I'm wondering if there's any way to engage the microfishing community in catching some of these smaller suckers. Is there any kind of challenge you guys can think of or put out there for folks to to help? I don't, I want to throw out, I don't think any micro fisherman is going to consider an 18 inch fish a micro but uh i think Maybe there's ways to engage other ugly english <laughs> listen if we could send the micro fishing community out on a mission to find juvenile blue suckers we about. might be we might be getting into something yeah okay yeah there's something to be said for for kind of that that citizen scientist yeah. you know involvement and i think the more you can educate folks and talk about some of these unknowns the more people are interested and in kind of go well huh that's an interesting question. I wonder if I could contribute to some understanding there. And I think careful kind of recording of what you're doing, where, when can really end up being some useful information for biologists, managers, and kind of conservation community as a whole. Yeah. And maybe just kind of that developing of your own personal ethic about these fish as maybe regulations or as funding catches up and just, yeah. These aren't a trash fish. They're not a carp or anything invasive carp, at least. No, I, I think the blue sucker is so emblematic of that kind of classic dilemma that we face as fisheries, as fish people. This is a fish that fascinates us to the point of obsession. Many of us, it captivates us, but the general public as a whole doesn't necessarily share that perspective, but may not know that they should because there's not enough information out there about them. This is a incredibly beautiful, strong fish that engages in salmon scale migrations that most people probably aren't even aware of. You know, a lot of big river fishes suffer the unfortunate reality of living in a turbid environment, a, yeah. a muddy river that you can't see in. 
And there are a number of species that live in clear water and can both be viewed from above and also within the water. And a lot of advancement in cameras and underwater housing has really produced some amazing images. And so we've gotten to a point where we get to think about a lot of freshwater fish at the same level as what Jacques Cousteau had put marine fishes on people's TV rooms many years ago. It's amazing to see a lot of the diversity in the southeastern United States and a lot of these just freshwater fish that are equally as colorful, curious as those on a coral reef. But then you've got these big river fish that live in big, deep, turbid environments and really no one knows about them. It's a rarity to catch them. And then when you catch them, you're looking at a fish that, you know, for when you pull it out of the water, it's dying. It's suffocating. And you're looking at this dying thing and it, you don't get the same appreciation that you do when you see some living critter in its perfect habitat, living its best life. So they're at a disadvantage. They need a good PR campaign. <laughs> I think it starts right here, right now. This podcast is the world of it. Wow. And then the final question I had was, if you could have folks remember one thing from this episode or about these fish, what would you want it to be? Blue suckers are the fish biologist fish. You know anything about fish, you're going to probably be entranced with a blue sucker. Yeah, I think that's a great way to say it. In our discussions, the phrase that I wrote down was, blue sucker is the fish nerd's fish. Okay. It is a creature of legend and lore. <laughs> and it, it really is. It grabs you. It, it captivates you. I'm pretty sure that if you read into some of those J.R.R. Tolkien books and you get to read through, <laughs> I promise you there's a fish in there that probably is described and is just like a blue sucker. Well, you know, Zach, I saw on that list of alternate names, one of them said, my precious. No you see that too? No way. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, that's awesome. I would be remiss if I didn't mention a couple of folks, you know, at least with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Luke Holmquist is one that uh, David worked with this past year. And Luke is a huge blue sucker fan. I was really interested in this podcast. But then Matt Rugg has been collecting a lot of the movement data on the lower Yellowstone and working really well with Tyler Haddix on the Missouri side. And then Dave Fuller is an old sailor out there who was a big part of a lot of early stuff and looking at blue sucker on the Missouri River with Pat Broughton, who Dave works with now. So there's a whole crew up here that just love Blue Sucker. And yeah, I just wanted to mention their names because they're super fun to work with. You got like a network of Blue Sucker folks, Blue Sucker enthusiasts that's like transcontinental. Like you guys find that 18-incher <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's going across the wire. Someone picks that up in Ohio. They send it down to Texas, somewhere in Alabama in the next hour. Is it yeah. like that? That's how I imagine it. Yeah, there's a whole network of, you know, along the Missouri, especially a lot of these folks work with pallet sturgeon and endangered fish, but you talk to Kirk Stephenson down in Nebraska and Robbie Maxwell down in Louisiana and Josh Perkin in Texas. And there's a lot of people that are just blue sucker fanatics. And when some of these things pop up, it is kind of a frenzy where people will send these things via text, email, and it's pretty fun to kind of learn collectively about this fish across such a, an expansive distribution. All right. There's so many other things that I had on my list. There's yeah. so much more we could talk about the blue sucker. There's so much more that we could cover on this fish. It just has depth. It provides insight into the minds of fish people. It sparks conversations about conservation and perception of non-game fish. There, there's just so many levels to it. We could keep this conversation going in so many different directions. That's one of the things about this fish that makes it so fascinating is that it's at the center of so many discussions in fisheries. There really is nothing else out there really like it. We were so excited to be on here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
get out there and enjoy all the fish. And we hope you feel a little more love for the linebacker of the suckers, the muskie of the catastomids, the blue sucker. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's a solid close. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebeck, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. Produced and story edited by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Production management by Gabriella Montequin. Post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Regional Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. Fish.